0: The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. Early the next morning Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them On her shoulders and sent them off sent and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there she began to sob. and he lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends of God, this story takes us to the unforgiving wilderness where Hagar and her son have run out of water and are about to die. In the Hebrew language, there are many different words for desert or wilderness. You know, like they always say, up in the north, there's lots of words for snow. Uh, in, In that life, there was a lot of words for desert, for wilderness, and one of them, the main one is midbar. Midbar is uninhabited land that you can live in, but the resources are slim. There's grass for sheep and goats, but shepherds have to move around a lot because places get grazed out, and then you have to move on to find another place to graze your sheep. There's a bit of water, then the shepherds know where the water holes are, and, and they, they go from place to place. You can live in Midbar, but you have a scrappy kind of life, nomadic, always hand to mouth. And another word for wilderness is yeshimon. Yeshimon is land without water. If you don't have water along, you will find it to be the most forbidding place. This is where people and animals die for lack of water. When we were in Egypt and Israel a few years ago, we hiked through Yeshimon areas. We had strict orders to pack along two liters of water every day. We had them in our backpacks and, you know, those things you suck on. And we had water with us and we we were buddied up and our buddies always told us, drink water, drink water. And we were always telling our buddies, drink water. Because if you didn't drink water, you would feel it. We had one person who had heat frustration because of dehydration. You could tell that if you went without water for too long, your life would be in peril would be endangered. We didn't have to worry about it too much. There was a nice air-conditioned bus waiting for us, but we felt it. And Hagar in the wilderness experienced it as Yeshemon, She had a water source that she took along with her, but as soon as that water ran out, her life was in peril. Her life was in grave, grave danger and the life of her son, Ishmael, as well. Indeed, Ishmael lay under a tree, dying of thirst, and she did not have the strength or the, the inner strength to be near him as he died. She just couldn't bear to see it happen, to watch her only son die. I don't know what that would be like, but I imagine it would be the hardest thing to do. There she was, in that arid, lifeless, extreme climate, herself about to die, and this is how her life would end, alone, with her son, a bow shot away, stripped of everything, on the brink of death. She had been sent to the desert to die, and this is how it would go, and all that was left for her was to weep out the last tears in her body and wait for death. How did she get to this forsaken place in the first place? Hagar got there through the intertwining story of her and Sarah. On paper, Sarah should have had this wonderful, beautiful life. And and Hagar with her. She was, Sarah was beautiful. Sarah was married to a husband who was rich. She had plenty of good land and animals. They had influence. They had power. And most importantly, they had the promise of God that through them, Abraham and Sarah, they would have a son and they would become a great nation. And Hagar ought to have been living that good life along with them. But as we know, Sarah had lived her, most of her life in deep sorrow of not being able to have that child at one point she decided to take control and do something about it if God's not going to do this for me I'm going to take control and I'm going to get a son for Abraham she had reason that she could have a son through a surrogacy arrangement so Hagar her Egyptian slave would bear the child but it would be deemed Sarah's child and it would all work out fine and the promise of God would carry on Only it didn't work out fine. Sarah had abused Hagar as jealousy set in. Sarah had still felt incomplete and barely tolerated Hagar and her son. You could just hear her call her the son, the boy. Even when she had her miraculous son Isaac, and she laughed with joy, things still weren't fine. God's promise was for Isaac, son of Abraham and Sarah. And to carry this blessing forward. And yet the threat remained that Ishmael would be the inheritor of the estate because he was legally the firstborn son of Abraham. And all Sarah's taking control had only made things worse. And when Sarah saw Ishmael laughing, she took it as mocking, and she screamed at, at Abraham as something snapped within her, get that! woman and her son away from me. Get them out of here right now. She never does mention the boy's name. Neither does Abraham in this story, and neither even does God. The boy was now a liability, and he had to be dealt with permanently. So Sarah ordered that Hagar and her boy be sent into the wilderness, and she knew what that meant. She knew it meant death. Isaac must prevail, and he must prevail no matter what, and any competitor must be taken out. This is not Sarah at her finest. This is, this is some kind of one of those shows you'd watch on Netflix, you know, with, with jealousy, and, and you know, these, these power plays that go on. What dark place in your heart do you have to access to perpetrate such violence against someone who you set up to be like to be in this situation so that left Hagar in the wilderness experiencing the cruelties of the yeshiman environment in the end Hagar had been put in her place a slave a stranger in a foreign culture powerless used and abused. Even what little she had was taken away from her, her power of her own, over her own body. She had been forced to have this child with Abraham and have this son. Her feelings about it didn't matter. And now with this miraculous baby Isaac, she was sent away into the desert where she should just have the good sense to just go and die. And her son with her. Sarah had squarely put her in her place, and nobody, she was a nobody, and her son was a nobody, and they had nothing to offer but their death. You could call this story the, the sacrifice of Ishmael. Next, next week, it's the sacrifice of Isaac. Abraham seems not to have liked the plan either, or, but, he doesn't treat his, but he doesn't treat his mistress or his son well himself. He loved his son, but essentially washes his hands of this whole mess and says, okay, okay, I'll do it. And he chased them off the property into the barren wilderness. And it, it seemed like God didn't even want this plan to happen. God had a relationship with Hagar and made promises to Hagar. And Genesis 16, pregnant Hagar, she's been in the desert before. This The first time in, in Genesis 16, And and where she was pregnant, and she had run away from the abuse of Sarah and cried out to God. And there we read about a remarkable encounter with God. She gave the name, she gave the name, or gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That's a remarkable sentence. In, in the Bible. In the desert, God had seen Hagar in her sorrow. God, God did not think she was a nobody. And Hagar amazingly got to see God. How many people in the Bible got to see God? Not many. And, and she even got to give God a name, Elroy, the God who sees me. And that put her in the same league as Moses, who would, centuries later, see God and hear God in the burning bush and on Mount Sinai. How could God just let a person like Hagar die in the desert, in obscurity, as a nobody? And in that first desert encounter, God had also made promises to Ishmael, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. So, you know, somehow God's not going to let this happen. He's not going to let Hagar and Ishmael die. He's going, to, he's going to give his covenant blessing to Isaac for sure. Isaac is the one, but he will also remain faithful to his promise to Ishmael. He tells Abraham, okay, listen to Sarah and it will be okay. I will make things right. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your, your offspring. Abraham at least gave Sarah, and, or at least gave Hagar and Ishmael a starting chance by giving them some food and some water in a goatskin. And when that meager supply wasn't enough, Hagar moved away so she didn't have to die, having seen her son died. She cries out to God, who up to now did not seem to be living up to the name that she had given him. You are the God who sees me. Where are you, God? I've just gone through this this desert, and now all my water is gone, and now my son is under that bush, and I don't know what to do. Nothing seems to be changing in this horrible show, in this horrible slow march to death. And yet, while no one is watching Ishmael, God is. And here's the turn in this story. Here's the gospel in this story. God heard Hagar. God heard Ishmael. And he speaks to Hagar through an angel. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. Every time an angel shows up, do not be afraid. They scare everybody. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation." once again in the, in, the, in the desert, once again in the, in the wilderness, once again when life seems so dangerous and, and in peril, God had seen her, had valued her, had spoken to her, and once again God's presence immediately turned things around for Hagar. Then God opened her eyes and saw a well of water so she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God turned Hagar's Yeshemon into midbar. He turned life-threatening environment into a place where you could survive. A place of death would become a place where she could live. She filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Their lives would carry on. God would be faithful to his promise to them. God will protect them. And, and this hard story of, of Hagar, this hard story of, of agony and pain shows us something of the agony and pain of life and sin. The agony and pain of life in, in relationships that are, are tainted by, by sin. Neither Sarah nor Abraham come across as balanced, kind human beings. How could these people be the ones God chooses to work through when they do things like that? What? Like, all in the family. Yet, Hagar in the desert tells us so much about God and the God who is working in these sinful situations. For one thing... God sees our suffering. Hagar knew this and named this about God. You are the God who sees me. You see my suffering. As Psalm 56 says, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your record? God knows us. Our suffering. Uh, Actually, can you just go back one? in the midst of our, our suffering, we, we want to know this about God. We, we need to know this about God. When we are hurting, we want God to be aware of us. Of course, we want God to help us. We want God to take it away, to fix it. But deeper than that, we want to know that God sees us. He knows us. You are the God who sees me. Me, Hagar, the one who's nobody. The good news of Hagar is that our God does indeed pay attention to our sorrows. Every cry, every tear, every pain matters to God. God sees our suffering, He also sees our value. You are someone to God, you are not a nameless nobody. He knows our stories and he loves us. We are precious to him. Hagar Hagar was not a slave in the eyes of God. Hagar was not somebody cast off, some nobody of no account that nobody would look at. If some passing caravan was coming by, oh, there's somebody dying. Can't do much about that. Let's go. There's a nobody. God values them. Hagar was a beloved child of God, someone worthy of God's attention. As John 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And he did this when we were nobodies. He did this when we were far off from him, even when we were his enemies. Christ died for us. Because God's love is not based on what we do or what we've done or what we've accomplished or what, you know, all the things that we could possibly bring to God. God values us because we are valuable to him. And that's it. We are his creation. We are made in his image. And we can play a part in his great plan for the world no matter who we are. God values us. God also sees our need for help. Sometimes when we're really hurting, we can be blinded to that. We can miss the resources that God places in our view or within our view or near to our grasp. We're so focused on our pain, our loss, our danger, that we don't see a bigger picture. We don't see what God has around us. The gospel in this story is how God shows us the wells available to us in the most unlikely places. He gives us eyes to see them. God sees our needs and helps us. I've talked to people like that. I've talked to people who've been in the wilderness, who've been in these awful places of despair, rather than rest. And every action was one that rose out of that despair, rather than out of resting in God. Like Elijah, under the broom tree, praying for death, God, I got nothing. And somehow God provided a way out. Take a look. It's not all that bad. Not everything is taken away from you. God knew them and valued them and showed them the place to get water. For Elijah, he sent ravens. He makes the valley of Bekah a place of springs. With God, our yeshamans can become Midbars, do we have the eyes to see? Has he given us those? God sees our need for help. God also sees the big picture of salvation. God protected Hagar and Ishmael and provided for them in the desert. And that provision enabled them to live into the promises God had made to them. They moved to the desert of Paran. Ishmael became an archer. They, and he got a wife from, from Egypt. Egypt. And God didn't rescue Hagar and Ishmael so that they could have a nice, beautiful life. To despite, and just despite Abraham and Sarah, He rescued them because of a greater story that God was accomplishing. It's a story that's even bigger than the great news that was unfolding through Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. God is revealing His heart for all people, not just His chosen people. As John Levinson, a Jewish scholar, he he puts it this way, Ishmael is read out of the covenant, but emphatically included in the promise that is larger than the covenant and preceded it. God has an even bigger plan, an even bigger promise than the one he has given to Abraham and Sarah. He will save the whole world, not just his chosen people. He loves the whole world and all who dwell within it. God is choosing Abraham and Sarah to, do a, you know, to work in a particular way with them. And, you know, the blessing, whoever blesses you, I will bless. And, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And that's, that's, that's his plan with Abraham and Sarah. And through that line, he's going to send a savior to pay the price of sin for the whole world and set us free to live in love. And through them, Jesus will come. And Hagar and Ishmael survived and a great nation was made through them and the Lord knows who they are and values them and every person from that nation. And he sent Jesus for them as well. God's provision helps us to live into the bigger story of his promises. After this message, we're going to see, we're going to sing those comforting visionary words. There's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. We cannot limit God's mercy. God hears the cry of the abandoned. God can turn a yeshemon into a midbar. God can turn the hardest pains into places where we discover his presence and his care. God hears the cry of the outcast, and God sees. God sees all of us, and he saves us. Let us pray. God who sees us, thank you that you see our suffering, especially when we've been mistreated or we find ourselves in the desert feeling we can't go on. Thank you that you value us so much that you sent your son into this world even when we were your enemies. We praise you for your provision, turning harsh environments into places where life can grow. And we thank you for the promise of salvation that goes to the whole world because of your son, Jesus Christ, and the power of his Holy Spirit. Hear us in our times of need. Give us the resources we need. Faith, strength, and courage to go forward in life. Renew our hope, deepen our faith, and strengthen our love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.